Welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this very special episode, we are interviewing Caroline McCall, the costume designer on the His Dark Materials TV show. There are spoilers in this episode for the first trilogy of His Dark Materials, so if you haven't read all of them, pop back when you're all caught up and we'll be here. Hi, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be here, to be recording. It's been a little while. We've forgotten how to pod, evidently. But we're here, we made it. Yeah, we had maybe a couple of technical difficulties because when you don't do something for two to three weeks, you completely forget how it works. <laughs> yeah. So bear with us. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're fine now. This is the second time we've recorded this intro and outro, but it's, it's cool. We, we're, we're fine. It's all good. It's good. (laughs) The most important thing is that we're so excited to bring this interview to you. Caroline was absolutely a joy to talk to. So much enthusiasm. So many amazing chats about all the amazing outfits, all the amazing looks. I'm just really excited for you to listen to it. Yeah, it's so good. And like so many in-depth stories about particular costumes, which I just fucking loved so much. And I know we say it a lot, but it's one of the reasons why I really like talking to people from the show because they do things, they are so into this thing, they love it so much that they will put things in it that you won't even really notice, but they did it with so much love that they wanted it to be in there. And I love that so much. And Caroline has so many of those stories and uh, it's just so great. It just makes my heart all all warm and full and, and fuzzy and I love it. Yeah, I'm so excited to, even though I literally just rewatched the entire season, I'm going to rewatch it again, like looking out for all the hidden gems that Caroline's pointed out in all of the totally. costumes, like all of those little details that are just like chef's kiss, like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, yeah, same, same. Uh, it's just so great. And we miss you guys as well. It's not been, it's not been that long. We said we were having a break. But we haven't really done a break because we've still been doing stuff. We can't let it go. We have to do podcast things all the time, apparently. But yeah, we do miss you because I suppose it's been a little while. We've we've been talking to you on Patreon and on Twitter, but we haven't spoken to you for a while via pod form. And we do miss you. I do hope that you've simmered down post Golden Compass film rant and oh boy, are yeah. feeling ready for a much more joyful conversation. Yeah. And we are looking forward to coming back for The Subtle Knife on the 21st of September. I am so looking forward to starting that book. I, I'm i just ready now. I know, like, we were supposed to be like, even for us, we were like, let's have a break, let's chill. And we have not chilled and we have not had a break, but I'm still so ready for it. We've got a couple of weeks to go, yeah? We might get some chill time within, in there some t- uh, somewhere. I don't know, will we? Who knows? Absolutely. And this conversation with Caroline has got me really hyped for the second season. So I'm really excited to be reading the books again and like rereading the second book at the same time as watching the second season of the TV show. And like, I'm just generally very excited. <laughs> me, me too. And I said this in our Discord chat with our patrons, but when I was watching the first season again, I was re-listening to our TV show episodes and I was laughing so much at how little we remembered about Northern Lights because at the time we were only like three or four chapters in. We were asking the most ridiculous questions and it's so hilarious to go back and listen now we've finished that book. And I can only say that it'll be the same for The Subtle Knife because Absolutely. I remember nothing from it 
and we'll only be a couple of chapters in when they start the TV show. So get ready for some ridiculous questions again. Get ready for some wild assumptions, despite the fact that I've read that book like 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so like, I'm so sorry, because a lot of you that have read the books must have just been like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're flawed humans that we've read the books, we love the books, but we don't have great memories. And I'm really here for trying to understand how I made some of the assumptions that I did make. Oh, um, so great. How I've misremembered things, because I love that. Memory's so weird. You're not here to listen to us talk about this. <laughs> You're here to listen to the amazing interview that we have done with Caroline McCall. We're so grateful that she spent the time with us. She's so lovely to talk to. Yes. We'll let you get straight into it. Let's do it. Yes. Here is the interview. <laughs> Yay. Well, hello, Caroline. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. We've had so many questions for you, actually. A lot of questions have come in about the costumes. <laughs> I hope I can remember. I hope I remember everything else of them. <laughs> I suppose it was a long time ago now, especially season one, right? Yes, it was quite a while ago now. Yeah, particularly, particularly what's going on in the last six months, it feels like a very long time ago. It's a different world, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the first question of you then is, can you... Really take us through what the job of a, a costume designer is in relation to his star materials. I suppose kind of what was a day in the life like for you and how did that all begin? I had heard they were going to make his dark materials. I was doing a job in Wales, uh, which I loved. And I loved my team in Wales. And the talk was that they're going to make his dark materials. And at the, it was at that point, I didn't know the books. It was at that point I read the book. But then I didn't know anybody in the production team at that point so I had kind of no way in <laughs> and then quite late on a producer that I'd worked with Laurie Borg he came on as a producer and got in touch with me and I was delighted because I'd I was really really wanted to be seen but it's quite it's it'd be difficult if you don't know people to get to get yourself in the room so that got me in the room so I had studied all the books and I had come armed with lots and lots of reference as to my ideas of what I thought Lyra's world would look at because you don't really get you don't really get told when you're going for an interview what what the ideas are because they want to come they want to know what your ideas are the first meeting I had was with Dan McCulloch the executive producer and Laurie Borg and I brought my book in and Dan seemed really excited by what I saw in my book and then then the next meeting, I met Joe Collins, the production designer, and then he took me round. They had done all this concept art, which was extraordinary. I'd never seen anything like it before. And it was just such a lovely moment when my ideas of the clothing just matched, just seemed to match what how Joel was seeing the world as well. And then, then my final meeting, I met Jane Tranter. So then eventually, <laughs> eventually I got the job. But so the job is creating clothing for the characters and to help build the world. And so in any, for any costume job, it's about creating clothes that those characters would, would wear. You know, not, you're not designing costumes. It's sort of the wrong word to use because if it looks like somebody's wandering about in a costume, then you've not done your job properly. It's about about them putting on clothes, which then 
inform who they are as a character because everybody's clothes are defined by your social and the economic and political status of where you live. And it's working, it was working out all those things within the layers of historic materials and with Philip Pullman's writing and trying to be as loyal to that as I could. So there's that side of it. There's the design side of it. And then there is the practical side of things. So for example, for Lyra, for each of her looks, some of those looks will have 12 of those costumes. Because say for example, her pinafore at Jordan College, there's one for Lyra, there's one for her double, there's one for stunt. Then she goes through so many different things in that costume. We need different levels of breakdown. And we also have to have fabric aside because she might grow or a costume could split on set. Um, So there's that practical side of things. And that was a big implication for the whole of historic materials with all the characters. Almost everybody needed more than one of each outfit. So I have, uh, there's a design team, my assistant designer and a junior assistant with me. And then we have the crowd team that help pull and put together and fit the um, extras. And I have a workroom that made the costumes. And then I'm very fortunate as well to have a dye room and breakdown area where every costume, even Mrs. Coulter's things would go through or be seen by Christopher Ellen, our um, head of dyeing, to check that everything looks like it's real. Um, and some things require more breakdown than others. And then we have the team on set, the team who dress the actors and look after the actors and their continuity. So, and then I have a supervisor who um, who manages the budget and manages the team and manages all the logistics of um, where we're filming, if we're on the, if we're in the studio, if we're on location, and all the practicalities of dealing with costume and the actors. That's such an expansive team. It's amazing to hear about all the different layers involved in it, especially all the levels of multiples of the outfits, because you don't necessarily think about it. Am I correct in assuming by breakdown, you mean the people that do the wearing and tearing? Yes, yes. Now the aging, aging and distressing of clothing, um, and sometimes it's more, sometimes it's more intensive than others. So, for example, all Egyptian clothing was really, really broken down, and then it would go back into the workroom and mended to give it that feeling of age and that things have been looked after. Then there's other things that you wouldn't think about, like taking down the colour of the bottom of soles of shoes and, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. But actually, if you're on set and you see something on camera that distracts the eye, all that side of the process is is really important. I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned that you read the books after you'd heard about the series starting to go into production. Were there any moments for you when reading the books that you fell in love with a particular character and felt really strongly about how you wanted to dress them? Were there any characters in your read-through that really like struck home for you? Quite a lot of it was quite clear in my... quite a clear imagination about many things when reading it. And But I suppose... I suppose Mrs Coulter is the one that I could really visualise. You know, I just saw this 
sort of Hollywood golden age icon. And I, I don't don't love her, obviously, but uh, <laughs> love her as a as a character to to dress. And uh, that's a, that's another thing about about costume design is that it doesn't exist doesn't exist solely in my head or within um, meetings with other members of other departments. It it is very much a collaboration with the actors and I have to and with something like this which is um, which you're building worlds when actors are coming into it and they're not they're not aware of how that how that world's being built or how, how it looks like you know then obviously I have to inform them of this is this is the look this is the feel but then we have to work together and um, to find the the character that was just a brilliant process with Ruth finding Mrs Coulter and then um, working out each of our outfits and as well with Daphne finding Lyra together and that whole process because it's not it's not a drama where there are millions and millions of different outfits you know there are there are things that looks that you create that you stick with for a, for a while so you have to be really really happy that you're making that decision and that commitment you know something like Lee Scoresby he's got the one outfit essentially so you've got to make sure it's going to be something you're going to be happy looking at yeah. for, <laughs> for quite a few years and that Lynn's going to be happy wearing for for a long time so that was that was quite different about this project as well that you're kind of making a commitment to how these people are going to look We'd love to talk to you actually about uh, Mrs. Coulter. We are also huge fans of her and love her costumes in the show. We've both actually just recently done a rewatch. And one of the things that I noticed is that when Mrs. Coulter is in her apartment, she wears a lot of blue. And then when she's out of her apartment, she's in the magisterium, she wears a lot of red. And I was wondering, like, what was the decision behind that? And and how do you come up with those concepts? Because as well, she always wears block colours. She doesn't really wear any kind of mixtures of different colours. And I was wondering what the thought process was behind that. Well, the blues, the blues and greens at the beginning, the blues and greens. We talked a lot about why is Mrs. Coulter appealing to Lyra? Why and why is she appealing to children? And so we wanted to build. We wanted to build in reasoning behind that. So for one, her and the description in the book. You know, for one, her costumes had to be her clothes had to be really tactile. They had to be fabrics that children would want to stroke or touch. You know, the silks, the silk velvet, those sorts of things. But the blues, the, the blues and the greens, all those sort of tones and the tones within Lyra when then they kind of mirror each other and they wear in, in the second episode. They're all those sorts of colours you would see in the Northern Lights because that's where she wants, she wants to go north, that's where she wants to go. So there's kind of a little backstory there and the twinkly bits in her costumes are all like sort of subtle references to those tones within the Northern Lights. And then the red... That's that's at the beginning for Mrs. Coulter. And then I wanted to go boom when she goes into the magisterium in the red suit. Because previous to that, she's sort of been conforming. Uh, to my mind, the logic behind the look, that slightly early 20th century look, is because this world's ruled by the magisterium. 
So it would be a conservative society and women would be wearing skirts below their knees, they'd have their shoulders covered, they'd have their hair up, they'd have their heads covered when they're outside in that kind of pre-1960s way that women used to dress in a more conservative society. And But I wanted Mrs. Coulter to always be pushing those boundaries. So in the beginning, you know, she doesn't wear, she doesn't wear a hat when she's out and about, and that's partly because she's breaking the rules. And um, also it's more appealing to children. But then when she goes to the magisterium and she wears that red suit, it's like, well, I'm playing by the rules, but not because I'm still really provocative. I'm wearing bright red and it's really quite low cut. I want to make a bold statement within the monochromatic surroundings. And then that kind of red theme carries on as well with her kind of rage, (laughs) I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. It's so interesting to hear about, especially the the blues and the greens kind of mimicking the Northern Lights. Because I hadn't, I noticed that Lyra as well wear like wears blue and greens when she's in mm. the apartment with Mrs. Coulter, but I hadn't put that together that it was trying to mirror that. And I think that's really great. And it's one of those little details as well that it's like once you know it and you watch it again, you're just going to be like, yes, I see that now. <laughs> one of the the beauties about there being not a million story days to, to costume that there are a few that you can make you can make choices and um, really clear so there's points where they're kind of the colors are mirroring each other and then they go completely op- opposite to each other and things and a bit like their their relationship at that point it's kind of where Lyra doesn't really is she okay isn't she trying to kind of work on that on that dynamic as well what was kind of the most challenging costumes to do because I've noticed there's so much fur going on when they go north and god only knows how much of a pain that is to sew and just a lot of the practicalities of like the most challenging costumes to tackle in that sense I'd love to kind of hear about some of those challenges well one of the most complicated and difficult I think for the workroom was probably was probably Lee Scoresby because there's so much work in that jacket the leather jacket he wears underneath, the long coat. So much detail in that. And we had the I had the samples of that kind of look for Lynn to come and try. And then we had about a week between him trying it on to it being on set. So that's no it's that's no time at all really to make that kind of complicated, really complicated outfit. And then we needed I think we needed two on the first day. We needed one for him and one for a stunt. And then we needed a third, I think. So I think they, if memory serves me right, I think we needed about three of those outfits within like 10 days, which was crazy. Yeah, so that was that was pretty tough going, but didn't they did it. We've made an awful lot more of them since. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that would be interested in knowing is, because this is obviously a very different world to ours and we imagine you haven't worked on anything where everyone has a little animal companion before (laughs) so we were wondering uh, did the demons of the characters have any kind of influence or factor in the costume design at all were there any practicalities of the different demons that you like factored into the costumes because we know obviously lyra with pan in the books pan hides in her pocket quite a lot and things like that i don't know if that was thought about in the process Yes, yes, it was. It was absolutely because I had um, conversations with VFX at the beginning about 
you know, that we needed, we would need to have pockets for various demons and particularly in the children's clothing because they're changing form all the time and that we could hide, we could hide pan here or, and boreal, we needed to know that we could get, that the sleeves were big enough so that the um, puppet snake could travel up and down his sleeve so they could they could see that in camera so there were various things that they could do in camera where you'd see a bit of movement in a pocket or down a sleeve or something but also it informed um it sort of in some cases it informed the costume design because for, for example mrs cooter's demon is a golden monkey so it's sort of like being a celebrity you know you're never going to hide you're never going to be able to hide the fact that you have got a golden monkey. And so in in that way, she could dress really showy, which you don't often do with a, a character. You don't often want to really look at the look at what they're wearing every time, but that was sort of part, part of who she is because that's who her demon is. And then we tried, sometimes it was a tonal thing. So Asriel, tonally, his clothes are kind of in harmony with the snow leopards. We thought that if we had... If if people had birds as demons, we should kind of allude to that in some way. So the master has his special glove and uh, the Egyptians have arm braces or uh, John Farr has uh, the patches on his coat. With the Egyptians themselves, I felt that um, they should be really in tune with their demons and really in harmony with them and that um, as they are with nature and how they live so that they, that their clothing in some ways would celebrate their demon so and so a lot of this isn't seen but they're just things that I wanted to do or the actors knew that they had they had a ring or they had a piece of jewelry that was reflective of their demon or there was knitwear there's a cardigan that Matt that's Mark Costas that she gives to Lyra was especially made that's got, we created our own knitwear, the sort of Egyptian knits, our own fair isle, which um, has uh, animals or birds uh, within the knitting patterns. I, just, I loved that. I loved, I loved the little details that we put into um, the Egyptian clothing, which a lot of people won't ever notice, but they um, give me great joy because I know it's there. <laughs> that was actually one of our questions was, is there anything that you take particular pride in one of those little details that either was cut really sadly or that like you just know someone wouldn't notice unless they knew it was there? Is there anything that you'll particularly want to highlight for us on future watches to be like, you'll notice this and it's great. <laughs> I love that cardigan. I love this, the cardigan that Lyra has. First thing she puts on over a party dress is Mark Oster's and it's got a bird, it's got a bird motif. John Farr has a lovely uh, bird pendant and they also have compass instead of pocket watches. They've got compasses if you see their chains. Yeah, Mark Austin, her little necklace has got birds on it, but I wanted it to look like it would be made from Billy or Tony. Aww. Yeah, there's lots, of little, there's lots of little details in there. That's lovely. I'd love to know because a lot of the costumes that I think it's easy to skip over perhaps some of the more straight laced like suits and like the costuming decision for Boreal, for example. Was there a conscious decision there to make him dress in a way that would blend into both of the worlds he occupies? And with some of the more straight laced characters like the Magisterium, how did how do you go about approaching something so 
simple, but that has to be really striking in the same way. Well, Boreal, I love Boreal's costume. I'm really proud of that look um, because, yes, it had to he had to be in a suit that would fit in to our world. But yeah, see if he crosses when he crosses over and he's seen elsewhere that it would he wouldn't be noticed particularly. And that Boreal, our Boreal is very different to the Boreal in the book. But he's as he is still as vain. Boreal's a bit like Mrs. Coulter. He's always really well presented. But he has that suit and that crombie coat that take him from the Magisterium and into our world. And well, so one of the things we did the kind of constraints on women's wear, but we all I also put it into the men's wear as well. The detached collars that um, men would have worn in the early. Uh, decades of the 20th century but I wanted to use that as uh, to display kind of this buttoned up society under the magisterium so the collar is a little bit lower and not as constrained in there's, and there's some soft collars around the people in Jordan College because it's Galicic century and then you'll see people in London are more they've got maybe higher collars and then that those collars then became part of the look of the magisterium. I wanted the magisterium to have a clerical feel to it, but I wanted it to be different to our world. And I wanted it to be really stark. And so those colours were really helpful to that. So the, the magisterium were the most extreme version of the high colours. And then we designed a little pin at the neck in place of a tie and so that it's not quite a clerical collar but it's our take on it and also you know by the time we get to Bolvanger Philip Pullman is describing the technology at Bolvanger and that the coal silk that the um, snowsuits are made from and that that's nylon so that I, I felt that the magisterium were the ones with the tech so everything else has sort of got 1950s feel to it, whereas the Magisterium has got a slightly more 1960s feel. So the Magisterium suits have that very slim line, 60s feel, and then that also is then reflected in the nurses, their sort of shiny coats and shiny nylon snowsuits in Bolvanger. They really, especially the like Magisterium costumes, they really add to that foreboding dread that you kind of get when when you're watching those scenes in the magisterium they really add to that like villainy villainous side of them i think we had a very specific question from one of our listeners one of our patrons who said i just really want to know what is coal silk <laughs> i imagine it's someone that works in africa like you might be able to tell us <laughs> coal silk um is nylon i believe mm. yes it's a man-made fabric I think it's like Philip Pullman calling electricity or electric and barrack it's just a diff- it's a, just a different word for something that does exist in our world so it's it's nylon or polyester or a man-made a man-made fabric as opposed to a natural fabric which again influenced because he made a point of saying that about Bolvanger then that, that led me to the other fabrics being used away from there or the magisterium trying to be natural natural fibers that's brilliant someone was also asking about whether you put any restrictions on yourself with regards to because I know you picked a time period that is 
um, the production as a whole is kind of set slightly further forwards than perhaps you imagine the way that Philip Pullman wrote it. That had kind of a Victoriana vibe and like modernizing it was a clear decision. And did that time period decision influence your, like restrict you in any way to do with, were you allowed to use zips? on a lot of things did you deliberately not use zips and velcro and did that have to factor in really heavily at all <laughs> uh well yes zips were around so that's not a problem it was like specific there were th things i used in bolvanger that i wouldn't have used anywhere else so for example they have snow boots and they've got velcro on their snow boots and they've got plastic soles and things and those would only be in bolvanger or on magisterium troops you wouldn't have that anywhere else. There's an awful lot of things that do. I remember having a remember having a conversation about t-shirts, about Tony Costa wearing a t-shirt. Would t-shirts exist? Like, yeah, t-shirts have been about around for you know over a hundred years. Yes, you could have a you could have a t-shirt. You can have a cotton jersey t-shirt, but um, I'm not no, not using anything really unnatural. And yeah, we did. I, we had to be very specific with mood boards and with communicating with the crowd team and with my team in general about, well, this, this exists, but this doesn't. You can't use this in, for, for the various different groups. So I'm keeping colour palettes restrained in different places. You know, so something like, Something like Mrs. Cooter's party was quite difficult to do because you couldn't make everything for all the crowd and trying to do this non-specific period and by not using things that are really specific to a period. So, you know, you couldn't use a 50s dress with because it's got too big a silhouette. Um, so we had to, it was a process of elimination of kind of, no, that's not appropriate. No, more no's than yes, basically to to make it work in our in our world, and then everybody working out the reasons why. Oh yeah, we can't use this because it's strapless, or or you know, on in menswear in men's wear suits, not using things that are really specific to a particular decade, like really wide lapels or really wide shoulders. Everything trying to keep really sort of non-specific moving on to to another question um we spoke a little bit about uh, like practicalities earlier around demons i imagine you have to work around other practicalities in terms of characters so like with the witches with them flying i assume there's some wiring involved and things like that that costumes might have to work around and same for lyra has to carry the alethiometer so I, i'm assuming you have to work that into to her costume is it can you speak to that a little bit and how how that factors into the costume design yeah the witches were really tricky because i was really really hanging on to um wrapped strips of silk from the book things that sound the easiest or normal usually the hardest thing to do to try and create something that looked like it would have been wrapped, but then has to accommodate a flying harness and has to not, you know, that the very the very description of them in the book is how not to have them for the effects. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like really, oh, how do I do this? How do I make, how do I do something that is has a loyalty to the writing, but then fulfills fulfills the brief for everybody else? Because we just couldn't, just could not have strips of of um, fabric flying all over the place because that would have been an absolute nightmare for visual effects, budgetary wise, practicality wise, all sorts. So we kind of by process of trial and error and making this costume eventually made were able to make a costume that had that kind of feeling, had had the essence. I wanted it to have the kind of the essence of the of the writing. But yes, that was about really, really difficult. With the alethiometer, yes, we had to have pockets in most places. And then I did then there's things that I did that aren't in the show but are in the book. So a little pouch, she has a little pouch. So in the book she makes a pouch on the boat out of a bit of tarpaulin. So she has that pouch and you see it, you see it a few times, she takes it off at Ballvanger and retrieves things inside it. But we always, always had a pouch that could hold or had a pocket that could hold everything. That was quite a large pocket she had to have in her Ballvanger playsuit in order to accommodate various things that she needed to carry. We uh, we spoke to Daphne actually, and she said that the alethiometer was really really heavy. She uh, mentioned that. I, did she mention Rich that she broke one of the bags that that she was carrying it with at one point? <laughs> oh, it was the um, it was her the party handbag, you know, which is well documented <laughs> in the book. It gets quite gets a bit of screen time. Uh, so yes, the that bag every time she climbed out that window. I went for a run, the bag would break. Oh, no. <laughs> and it had to be had to be wired together with um, fishing wire to keep it together. <laughs> Were there any other interesting challenges that you had to tackle in that sense where you've got a costume or a or a piece ready for set and then you've been thrown a bit of a curveball on set and had to do some creative problem solving? I was I was slightly startled when I saw where Ruth had to climb in a red dress in Ballbanger. <laughs> handily enough, handily enough, we designed the dress with buttons up the front. So in some shots, you could just unbutton the front of her dress so she could shimmy on up <laughs> into, uh, <laughs> uh, into the, um, the crawl space. One of the main hurdles on series one was that we were creating, trying to create the north, and trying to make everybody look like they were in freezing temperatures whilst we're shooting in the summer. And even I thought when we got to the Brecon Beacons and we're filming Trollison, or the weather will be on our side. And even there, it was really wasn't that really wasn't that cold for the Egyptians and everybody to look like they're bundled up and uh, absolutely freezing. That was a challenge. But then, as Daphne said herself, then um, she was very grateful when she got to the studio and had her warm coat because the studio was actually really cold, whereas being on location was much, much warmer. (laughs) Yeah, I think she mentioned to us as well that there were scenes with her and I think Ruth where it was really, really hot and they were like sweating in their furs. And I was like, oh, God, it must have been such a like sweaty set for everyone that's in the north wearing those big furs. (laughs) Yes, yes. 
all the kids on set in their ball ranger snowsuits. That was quite hot. And the little, little hats, etc. in a hot set. Yeah, quite difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I know we can't speak much about season two. We won't touch on it too much. But I wanted to ask you about, well, book three, really. And if there's anything from the Amber Spyglass, like any particular costumes from any characters that we meet there or any costumes that just any characters wear that you have an idea about or you're looking forward to working on? It's hard. It's hard because my, my brain my brain automatically goes to the world of the dead <laughs> and, uh, and how that works. I'm interested to know what Joel has planned for Mrs. Cooter's cave. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really interested, as I'm sure everybody is, about what it will look like and the Republic of Heaven. That feels like a very big subject to get my head around at the moment. And one of those, like, like each of the books, to sort of chip away at and figure it out. What I would like to say about series two is that when I got the job, it was really important to read all the books and note every, every costume reference, every character reference that would influence the costume, everything within those books and within all the books. And that in designing series one, the subtle knife was really important because of the trip to the Pitt Rivers Museum, which is one of my favourite pieces in the on, on all of the books, because we as readers can go and stand where Lyra stood in the Pitt Rivers Museum. And so, you know, a lot of decisions I made about, say, Lyra's coat and the Samoyeds that uh, steal her away from the Egyptians and the Tartars and things were, very, were influenced by standing in that corner and looking at the cabinet that she looks at and that she sees these things that remind her of those experiences. So it was really important to me that her coat, the coat that she buys in Trollicent would look, could ho- would hold up if ever put in that ever put in that cabinet, little details that I go around that museum, going around the Pet Pet Rivers Museum, we're like, oh, let's have snow goggles on the Tartars and the Samoyeds and little little details because it's such a special, it's such a special thing to be able to go somewhere that these characters that you love have been. That was really helpful to me for designing series one. That's really interesting, actually. And you're so right about being able to go to these places. Rich and I haven't made the pilgrimage to Oxford <gasps> yet. I know. <laughs> oh, you have to go. It is just the best. It's the best thing. <laughs> it is, you have to go whenever you can, whenever everything's opened up. You've got to go to the Pit Rivers because it is the most magical thing read those pages before you go in and then go in and see because it is the most extraordinary museum and collection of things you know then to look in these cabinets that Lyra looked in it's just brilliant it's magic oh yeah we're, yeah Rich have you you and I've, I've never been to Oxford which is really bad of me I've been <laughs> you've been to Oxford have you been to the museum I have yes I dragged my partner there for the very specific reason that Lyra's been there and yeah, so um, it's just me, but I promise I will go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's fabulous, and as a way to describe it to you who hasn't been there, it's almost like if the room of requirement in Harry Potter was also a museum in terms of how hectic it is as a space. It's amazing. 
one thing that we would love to ask about with the second season in mind is some of the outfits we've spotted in the trailers and a lot of our listeners and uh, a lot of people that have submitted questions just desperately wanted to know about the witches' outfits that they spotted in the trailer and if there's anything extra you can tell us about them because they're fab. They're brilliant. <laughs> yeah, they look amazing. Oh, thank you. So we've got witches from different regions. Our witches are kind of elemental. Their cloud pine is within them and that's what makes them fly. And I wanted to look at the elements where the regions where the different witches came from, what elements were in the earth. So there's a bit of that. Oh, and we, we Serafina, her weapon, their weapons are or spikes that they throw rather than bows and arrows. So I was looking at the regions where witches have come from and what elements are in the earth from those regions. I think that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> they look really great. That's from what I've seen anyway, from what I've seen on Twitter and things like that, from the trailer, costume-wise, I think that's the thing that most people have picked up about. And we got so many questions to ask you about the witches' costumes because they do, they do look great. They look so badass. Like they looked badass in the first season as well. But I think seeing it, I was like, wow, they look so great. Well, I have to come back and talk about that. Yes, yes, okay. Hidden secrets <laughs> of series two. There will be many. Uh, <laughs> I think also, I for you know Serafina series one witches in general that it's really important to portray a powerful strong woman that was really important to me that they don't look it's not too pretty pretty you know these characters are, are role models as well and want them to feel like sort of strong strong women and it's definitely a book series full of very strong women yes, so. yes. <laughs> one of the questions as well that we got from quite a few people is how much or did you at all pay any attention to the costume design in the Golden Compass film or have you seen it? I've seen it since, but no, no, I didn't. I think if there are, I don't know if there are any similarities, but if they are, that's, that's probably due to the source material. And, but no, we came at it, came at it very much from the books and what, what the books tell us and so Lyra's Lyra's first outfit for example to me I was looking you know reading about Philip Pullman and there's an image that's alluded to be his favorite image of favorite drawing of Lyra which is sort of blue blouse and red pinafore so it's sort of important to me if that's how he saw her that I could would portray her in that way even with that outfit there were practicalities with that it's actually it's actually a skirt it's actually like a short pinafore but it was made in such a way that you can't tell because it's like we're going to we're going to have this girl running on rooftops you know <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be practical so we came up with the costume maker came up with a way of um, making it into sort of split shorts that look like pinafore which made it so comfortable for Daphne it's so easy for her to race around in. But no, it, it it has to be Joe created the environments and then I populate those environments. And so very fortunately from the beginning, we were on exactly the same page as to how we saw it and why why we saw it, the logic 
behind saying everybody saying things in those ways so you know but like it's 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 really it's really great it's really brilliant actually that you know our taste and our logic was so similar that things just gelled together you can tell that we were on the same page yeah absolutely uh, we uh, we spoke to to Joel Collins and we asked him about the the golden compass film as well and we were talking about how a lot of the things in that film are gold like they really went for it on the gold aspect of it and and Joel was saying that they they like made a conscious decision to like step away from that cuz i think as well if you look at Mrs Coulter in the golden compass and then versus the t- uh, the tv show i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people love her costumes in the TV show so much because Nicole Kidman was dressed in gold so many times, but then we've got this new version of Mrs. Coulter that's got all these really wonderful, like dynamic, sexy outfits that she looks great in. I think for the fans, it was like a really nice step away from that. Um, we we actually had a question from one of our patrons and listeners that said, where can I buy Mrs. Coulter's outfit for, outfits from? And I completely agree. I would love to get my hands on those great power suits. <laughs> I'm afraid all of Mrs. Coulter's wardrobe was designed and made specifically no. for Ruth. <laughs> and uh, yes, that's something I feel so fortunate. I am so, it was so fortunate as a costume designer to have a job like this where you get to des- you get to design and create from the fabric choice you know everything and that that we have the facility to do that it's just it's the best i am in my happy place you know in the workroom and you know, choosing fabrics and, uh, and and making costumes and obviously there are elements of shopping and buying we have will's world and contemporary shopping, but to get the opportunity to, you know, make Mrs. Coulter's evening dress and, you know, moving forward, the clothes that she wears is just a joy. And actually, the th- wonderful thing about historic materials is that it's probably the reason that I wanted to do costume. It was that as a family, we used to watch the Sunday night dramas and uh, sit together it was the one time we sat together and watched something and also you know I grew up loving classic Hollywood films so to amalgamate you know this job is an amalgam of those things that I love it's just brilliant but hopefully the, the, the goal is that that you're pleasing the viewers that they're happy with just the decisions that you made along the way and that it will hold, that it will, it will hold up for future generations that come to it at a later date because these things tv films they live on yeah they do definitely we have a couple of questions that are perhaps some of the sillier questions we've been asked but it would be remiss not to ask them one of them which just tickled me when i read it was um if the main characters demons were hats what kind of hats do you think they would be (laughs) which it's a brilliant question. I'm sad I didn't think of it. <laughs> I don't. Oh, my goodness. It's a hard question, right? <laughs> it's a really hard really question. Especially because they wear such iconic hats, like a yes. lot of them do anyway. I think that would take I think that would take a great deal of consideration. I feel like we should have sent it to you before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm actually trying to think what I would say for it, and I can't 
think of any, like off the top of my head. Yeah, I think I think that, that, that the characters who have hats, I think they're quite a good depiction of who they are. You know, like Lucian, Lucian didn't feel, Lucian had to have his hat nearby in order to be, even the scenes he wasn't wearing the hat, the hat had to be around because that made him John Farr. Mrs. Coulter's big fur hat, I think is one of, and that whole fur outfit is one of the most iconic moments I think and it looks so brilliant when she's walking through the the magisterium some kind of army-ish vibed place in slow motion was that a consideration making the fur something that would look brilliant in slow motion no 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 not not at all not at all that that was Jamie the director to just did this absolutely beautiful shot in the aircraft hangar and in the uh, the Zeppelin. And I think on all, on all the directors, all the directors t- t- sort of did their beauty shot of um, Mrs. Coulter in whatever whatever outfit she was wearing, which was great. But actually, that outfit, the the, the ball vanger, the, the outfit that she sort of committed to, you know, from ball vanger onwards, I, I got, was, got, was really stressed. I was really stressed about about that outfit and actually I think it was a scene I think that aircraft hangar scene came forward so I actually had to that had to work before I'd anticipated it would because it was that getting my head around well she's going to she wears this costume to vault ball vanger and then it gets blown up and then she you know her journey indicated that she wouldn't have any more clothes for the end to the end of the series so it's big commitment to Miss Scooter to be in something that is worthy to play in those episodes. And so I got a bit stressed. I got a bit stressed about that. Was I making the right decisions? Then to, that was the first the first day we shot on it was in the aircraft hangar with Jamie and she just looked, I was so pleased with how he shot it. So it's like, well, it's, it's going to be okay, I think. And then <laughs> then again, then again, he did a, he did a, was it Eros? Eros did a shot in Bolvanger, which is just in the red dress, which is, which is quite iconic as well. One of our last questions we always ask is if you could go back and tell yourself something before this whole process began, what would it be? Like a little bit of advice for your future self. To trust your instinct. I can deliberate a lot and take a lot of time about things. And ultimately, you tend to go back to um, your original idea. And then therefore, it puts a load of stress on you because you've wasted time. I feel that. Yeah, I feel that also. <laughs> I think it's part of being a being creative because you always think, is that the best idea? And um, there's always so, there's always so many roads that you can do, go down. There's infinite infinite possibilities. It's been confident enough to commit to an idea. The last question that we'll end on is, what is your demon? I've been thinking about this, <laughs> and I've got no idea. <laughs> we also do a thing on the podcast where we speak about what our demon would be that week. So obviously, obviously, when you're a child, your demon changes all the time. If our demons could still change, what would they have been that particular week or that particular day? So I don't know if that's an easiest aspect of the question that you could maybe answer. <laughs> is there an animal or bird that's really good at procrastination? Because that would be that would be this week. That's what I do on the podcast a lot. I think about a certain feeling and then I Google which animal procrastinates and then find one. <laughs> There's a bird that um, spends a lot of time arranging twigs in a really specific fashion before it does a little dance to attract a mate. 
I feel like the arranging <laughs> twigs is quite procrastinating. <laughs> it would be my team. My team would say it would have to also be a bird that makes a lot of mess because I I have to make a mess in a creative space. It's usually absolute chaos, and then 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 I can spend time procrastinating tidying it up. There you go. <laughs> we'll do a quick Google after this. We'll find out <laughs> which bird does that. <laughs> I think that's all the questions we had. So thank you so much, Caroline, for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Oh my gosh, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. I loved it so much. Uh, I just want to talk to every single person that was ever involved in the TV show. I just, because they're all so nice. I want to test my theory that they're all amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everybody's lovely. And just so much joy and so much love put into every single stitch. And I love it. <laughs> it's very exciting. I'm so excited to watch season two. I know that Caroline couldn't say a lot about what we may have spotted in the trailer. Like she was very careful not to tell us too much and very excited to tell us more when we've actually seen it. So I really hope we get the chance to talk to her again. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Although, I, and I suppose it obviously is because the season two trailer is out, but it's the most we've ever got about season two. So that's exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Caroline, for your time. We really appreciate it. And like Rich said, hopefully we can have we can get you back after season two. I have so many interviews to do after season two. We're going to have to talk to all the people again. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> Bring it on. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDNpod and you can email us at herd.materialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other people find us. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on medium at fay.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and I'm at online shop rachemakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and to Caroline for her time. And we'll see you in September. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. See you soon. See ya.